Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, live, 1975 to 1985. Hey everybody, welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. My name's Rob, that's, that's JB over there. This, hey, this is all a podcast. Over here. Yeah, it's a podcast. Well over six feet away. That's right. Well, we're six hundred mi- or six thousand miles away, or something. I don't know. Yeah, we're definitely keeping our distance. I don't think we're that far away. I don't know. What's the? If one man leaves Fort Worth at two p.m. and the other man leaves <laughs> two ten hours, it takes ten hours. Yeah. Um, no matter how you cut it, there's three <laughs> different ways to drive, and it takes ten hours every single way. Depending on how long it takes to get through, uh, get over that long ass bridge in Louisiana. Yeah, That's or big, big uh, or through the traffic. For whatever reason, they just, they just can't stop, finish rebuilding the highway between Texarkana and Little Rock, or Memphis and Little Rock. So oh, you go, go up, you go up through the Ar- Arkansas way. I go down through the Louisiana way. Interesting. Different oh, ways of you, life. you go down through Louisiana. That's so like through through like Beaumont. That's to Jackson. But if you're coming to Tupelo, we're close to Memphis. So you can go straight across. Oh. You can do just twenty all the way to Jackson. And then up to Tupelo, or you can go you can go Texarkana, Memphis, or Texarkana, Little Rock, Memphis. I'm just now realizing I've never been to Tupelo. I've only been to Jackson. Birthplace of Elvis, dude. You got to take a trip. I guess so. Got to look or like home home place of JB. Yeah, next time you're like taking a trip, just take a small detour, and we'll take you to the. I mean, not in the next 18 months, but I was gonna say not anytime soon, my friend. uh, Yeah, man. Road, road trips are are done for a little while, I think. Well, um, anyway, I, that was... I'm going to take a road trip, but just like, just like, just to be in the car. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> somewhere else. I take regular road trips a around chance. the block. I'm going to take a long road trip. <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. So anyway, this is Bruce Springsteen sings the alphabet, uh, quarantine edition. So, uh, like I said, my name, yeah. my name's Rob. That's JB. Uh, we're gonna. It's gonna be a little bit looser today. Uh, we're 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 continuing the albums slash box sets edition. You know, journey through the body of work, whatever. Uh, as we go, we're, we're we've had to change up our recording schedule. Our our editing schedule is gonna be a little tighter. So here, just just a little bit warning. If if you've been following along on this on season two with us, I the editing this season has been I I think a little bit. We we've tried to scale it up a little bit by doing audio drops uh, for every song that we talk about. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and warn you. We're probably not gonna be able to do that this week, just because uh, the the turnaround time's a little tighter than it usually is. And also, my kids are home all the time, and um, all the time, hundred percent of the time. I am a homeschooled parent as of as of two weeks ago, so uh, we're we're making <laughs> it. And and quite frankly, there are two days a week that my kids need my laptop, or one of my kids needs my laptop for most of the of the waking hours. So so yeah, my my you would think being homebound more would result in a, an elevated level of productivity. It has not. It is actually, my, my productivity has almost completely bottomed out as a result of this. So yes. uh, as a result of having like three kids at home and two of them needing like the internet pretty much all day. So for school, not just for like watching stuff, but like for school. So anyway, I, I wrestled it out of one of their hands so that I could come in here and record this podcast. So anyway. Shep runs, sees me on the computer and he runs in. And he's like, we play video games? And I only <laughs> say no to that so many times in a day. Uh, I try to make it till five every day. It's hard to do, man. It's real hard to do. And, uh, I mean, yeah. We're, yeah, we're trying. I, I've, I've been trying to read more to my, to my three-year-old. And we mentioned that on the last week's podcast when we talked about our goals, but, and that's been working, but I mean, that's the only way I can keep the screens, you know, at bay is, is to like, I, yeah. have, to, I have to do other stuff with him. That's the problem. So my, my boss sent out a note to, she was like, to all the parents, if you, 
if you don't stimulate your children every day and don't teach them whatever French learning method that there is and you, you know, and, and you just watch TV, like it's okay as long as they're alive at the end of this. Like it's okay. Your job is just to keep them alive right now. Calm down. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, and that, that, that has held true for, and, and mostly we've done okay. We mostly we've, we've moved the ball forward a little bit every day in terms of learning something like even if it's just playing yes. Monopoly or, or doing, doing a workbook or something like that but what do they learn when they play monopoly and you beat them and you're just like that's the way it works the man wins <laughs> don't uh, bet against the house no we have never, never finished your money at the table. <laughs> my, my children have no idea what it is to finish a game of monopoly we've never gotten that far <laughs> two laps around the board and everybody's done they learn well i'm usually the one to stop they're they're like can we keep going i'm like we've been playing for three hours no one's getting anywhere <laughs> we have to have dinner now um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, my, my daughter's in second grade, and they're learning, like, money right now. So Monopoly is actually kind of perfect. My wife hates playing Monopoly, so we, we only do it when she's, like, fully occupied with other <laughs> stuff. But anyway, um, not yeah. to get back into last week's episode. But So what we're talking about today— Sorry, sorry. No, 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 you're good. Because I, I know people are home right now. A lot of people are home and will be for the foreseeable future. And they're like, I need something to listen to. I need something long. And this podcast may be, but for sure— Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, live 1975 to 85. That that's a time consumer right there. So yeah, it's so a long record, it's 40 songs. Yeah, and we're not going to talk. We'll go ahead and say we're not going to talk about all 40 songs. We're what what JB and I did was we kind of divided it up and we kind of we batted a list back and forth and we came up with 11 11 songs that we were going to talk about that maybe in one way or another kind of represent the whole of of the box set because first of all, most of this box set we've already talked about in one way or another because we've talked about the albums that preceded it. But also, uh, it's 40 songs, and we've all, we're doing albums right now. It would take us forever to talk about each one of these 40 songs. So we decided to make it basically a normal album's length and just talk about 10. So here, here are the basic facts real quick, and then we'll get into it. And we, we had to go to kind of a steady clip because, like I said, we're in the middle of the workday. Uh, so anyway, we yeah. are – so Bruce Springsteen and the Street Band, live 1975 to 85 – was released on November the 10th, 1986. It consists of 40 tracks, so it was released as a box set. If you bought it on vinyl, I have it on vinyl, and if you got it on vinyl, it came with five records, but if you got it on CD or cassette, it came with three discs or tapes, respectively. Um, and so, con commercially, this is very. This was a very successful release for Bruce Springsteen. It peaked at number one on the Billboard charts in 1986 in the U.S. It was certified 13 times platinum, which is diamond, although it only... It, it re it claims only four four million four point three million copies shipped, uh, but I, I guess the the numbers are adjusted when it's a multi disc album. Oh um, uh, yeah yeah yeah, because uh, because you you have to pay more for it obviously. So the so I, I guess it it's like bottom line. I, I don't know exactly how the math works out, but anyway, so that but all that to say, this is technically this is Bruce's second most successful release behind Born in the USA. Because it sold so many, and and it really just shows like Bruce at the peak of his power. Like he just came off the Born in the USA tour in 1985, which was this massive global sensation. And then he follows up that tour by releasing this box set where everybody either just saw Bruce Springsteen live and they're like, "I got to get more of that," or they missed it and all their friends were telling him, "You, I, you will never believe how good this guy is live." So this comes out at exactly the right time for everybody to be interested in what does Bruce Springsteen sound like live. Or I got to because this is before. But this is before people could just like download bootlegs all the time or um, this obviously before Bruce was releasing every single live show to his website. This is 
this is the first time anybody got an official release of Bruce Springsteen live, and it's like a 10-year representation of his body of work. And people were just hungry for more of this because Bruce had just toured the world and shown them, like, this, this, I, you might enjoy my albums, but live is where it, it is where I show what I can really do. So that's what this is. And in the liner notes of this, like sort of the backstory of, of why this exists and where it came from, Bruce writes in the liner notes, he says, John Landau sent a four-song cassette of Born in the USA, Seeds, The River, and War of live tracks down to my house with a note attached saying he thought we might have something here. Over the following months, we listened to 10 years of tapes. The music did the talking. And this album and its story began to emerge. We hope you have as much fun with it as we did. I'd like to thank John for his friendship and perseverance and the E Street Band for 1,001 nights of comradeship and good rockin'. They're all about the best bunch of people you can have at your side when you're going on a long drive. So that's what Bruce basically says. So, And I, I can imagine the record company, Columbia Records, was only too thrilled to have a, an opportunity to release a live representation of Bruce's work and that it would be a, like a multi-disc box set probably was even more exciting to them. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure at this point they were like, Bruce Springsteen is printing money for us. And if we can get more of that, that would be amazing. But also there's a thing that often happens with live bands, and JB, you could probably speak more to this, which is that often a, a live act will have so many um, so many units left in its contract with, with, with their record company, and often either a live or greatest hits release is a good way to sort of fulfill that without having to make new content. Um, yeah. I don't get the sense that that's what Bruce did here. First of all, because he stays with Columbia Records after this comes out, but also um, yeah. because it does sort of seem like he felt like the Born in the USA, the Born in the USA tour was sort of a culmination of a, a long journey towards becoming what he ultimately became. And this was sort of a good like time capsule of here's who we were and here's who we became. And here's, here's us along the way. I don't know. What are your thoughts on all that? Uh, I mean, I don't think that that's why he did, but yeah, that's a thing that, that's a thing that, that is, is common for yeah. sure. Especially young bands, you know, somebody uh, sees a young band and they're just, they're just thinking, Oh yeah, we'll sign you for a 10 record deal. And a young band thinks 10 records. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And then you have to make 10 records, <laughs> which is insane. Not a lot of people do that, but there's a band I really love growing up that that did that. And they were releasing new Christmas records every year. And I mean, they're right there at the end. They were they were just doing it, man. They were putting out everything they could because like Capital had signed them to an imprint, you know, a, a pub like a publishing imprint. And so they were I mean, they were. Way, you know, they were on this tiny record label and they had like six records left. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Capitals knocking on their door and they're just like, please. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, well, and I mean, very famously, and we'll talk about this uh, when we get to, when we, at some point, we'll talk about Greatest Hits album on a, on a bonus hit episode. But um, th like very famously, Tom, this is how Tom Petty got out of his uh, first record contract and um, by, by putting out a, a Greatest Hits album and, um, and, and so, yeah, th this is the kind of thing that happens a lot. And like you said, I don't think I don't think that's what Bruce is doing here. I, th I think he saw this as an opportunity to sort of kind of celebrate who like where they had come from. I, th I think that he, he saw his journey as having been a really difficult one and he wanted to kind of celebrate it. Because, again, the thing that makes Bruce Springsteen special for a lot of people is the live show. And there was no official yeah. representation of the live show that people could just go to a record store and buy. And so this was a good way. And rather than release just like one show, Bruce was like, let's just pick the best stuff from the last 10 years and let's put it all together. And our fans who have been with us this whole time will, will appreciate that we are honoring that journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, now that said, most of the songs on this box set come from a handful of shows. I mean, most of them come from either shows in New Jersey 
or in California. There's only actually, there's only one track of, of the 40 tracks. There's only one track on the box set that was recorded outside of the New York, New Jersey area or California. And that track is Badlands. Badlands was recorded at the November 5th, 1980 show in Tempe, Arizona, which is kind of one of the most legendary shows in Springsteen mythology. I'm kind of surprised that's the only song from that show that's on on here. But yeah. the rest of them are from either Los Angeles, San Francisco, New Jersey, or New York. So um, anyway, mm-hmm. but but over, like spread out over I mean, a span And of specifically time. Nassau Coliseum, Meadowlands, LA Coliseum, and Giant Stadium. So that's like right. kind of legendary Springsteen haunts. Yeah, basically places where he felt like no matter when he he went there, he was gonna get like they were gonna give him a good audience, you know. Oh, and and the Roxy uh, has a at least the first three, four. Yeah, there's a bunch of the Roxy too. I think the 1975 stuff is mostly from the Roxy. Well, no, in the 78 stuff. That's right. So 78 stuff too. Yeah. So the earlier stuff comes from the but but obviously like after the River Tour, he's selling at bigger venues, and so the Roxy's not cutting it for him anymore. Anyway, so that's that's sort of the basic facts behind this this album. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird to talk about. In fact, we we had thought about maybe not even including this because it's not really like an album proper. It's not original material. It's a live box set. So, but I mean, it's a, I think it's a really important uh, kind of line in the sand or sort of like mark on the path of uh, the Bruce Springsteen journey. I, I think. In, in fact, I think in a lot of ways, this is, this is sort of like the line of demarcation between first wave Bruce Springsteen and second wave Bruce Springsteen. You know what I mean? Because after this. He kind of yeah. sh- changes who he is. Like the live show specifically, I mean, it, beginning with the Tunnel of Love Express tour, which is what comes next, he stops doing Rosalita for like 20 years, which had become a live staple. And so he puts, I think he put, putting out this box set in one way was a way of sort of encapsulating the first 10 years for, I mean, yeah, I guess excluding 73 and 74, the first 10 years of Bruce's rise towards success, but also as a mm-hmm. way of sort of like closing the book on that first era and giving Bruce, I think, mentally permission to kind of venture into new territory. You know, yeah, and I think it's also important for fans. It's a very much a um, like any of the songs on this record. If you ask a fan, you know, a fan says, "Oh, um, like for for me, for instance, uh, if you say, uh, you know, what's your favorite guitar, like Bruce Springsteen guitar song, where he's specifically playing guitar, I would probably be like, I don't know, Adam Raised the Cane." And then the next question that any real Bruce Springsteen fan asks is, "Which version?" And which I say, "Live <laughs> version." The, from the you know from the seventy five to eighty five box set, oh, and they say, yeah. yeah, man, me too, and uh, and so that's you know like these are everybody has like a bootleg, but nobody has all the can. Some people do, <laughs> but like you know normal <laughs> fans can't can't listen to you and know all of the bootlegs and and live recordings. But this is sort of the um is sort of the live songs that are a part of the of these are canon. Yeah. I think yeah. that's right, and and maybe that's that's a good point too. Is that when he, when Bruce releases this officially, it gives us an opportunity, or us. I, I was five years old when this came out, but it get, it gives the world of fandom an opportunity to sort of lay claim to these versions as official versions and not just bootlegs, right? Like because because like you said, it's canon. Yeah. Like th- this is this isn't just something that like only the most hardcore of fans can get. This is this is the the second most well selling thing that Bruce ever made. So. So yeah, you're, I mean, Canon is exactly right. Like the, these versions become just as official to Bruce Springsteen fans as anything on the records that they first show up on. Yeah, you know. Now, um, I guess I guess that's that's. I, I don't really have any other initial thoughts. Do you want to get in? We, we can maybe like unpack some of these other ideas as we as we go forward. Do you yeah. want to get into the tracks, or do you have other like initial thoughts you want to get to first? Let's get into it. So, uh, like you said earlier, we're not going to talk about every song. We're going to sort of give our roadmap. But we are going to start off 
with the first few because I think they set the stage. Yeah. Well, and we'll go in sequential order. So if you're if you're following along yeah. with the liner notes, we're not going to we're not going to skip around. We'll go um we'll go in, in the order that Bruce has placed them in. We're just going to skip a few. We're going to talk about the first one and the last one we're going to talk about is the last one and in between we're going to kind of skip around. So Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna start with Thunder Road, which I, it was live at Roxy, uh, October nineteen seventy five show, and um, I love. I think that the restraint that he should. This song could be way big live, you know, and it has been before. Mm-hmm. The, the extended piano intro is really nice. The harmonica is really nice, and the restraint that he shows really sets the tone for like this is gonna be a different experience than what you you maybe were expecting. Whenever you went out and bought a Bruce Springsteen album, like you're going to get some different versions of these songs. Yeah. But which, it's still going to be true to, to what you love in the first place. Which I, I think is true to like why people would want this. Like, I don't, I don't think you just want a louder version of the thing that's on the album, right? Like if you're going out and you're going to buy this massive box set, the hope is at least some of these songs are going to show you a different side of some of these. Like not, not everything. Like some, some of the songs need to yeah. sound like, I mean, and we'll get into this in the bonus episode, but like the question of like how how much can an artist deviate from the original sound from the album before the fans become frustrated, you know? And I think Bruce really does a good job of sort of like living inside that that space, specifically like you said with the song, because this is very different than the album version. But in a lot of ways, it's it's just as good. And I mean, quite frankly, it's almost. I mean, it sounds like sacrilege to say it's better, but to me. Because th- this version is just piano, which is a really bold way to start a live Bruce Springsteen and yeah. the E Street Band box set, right? Just with Bruce and a piano. Well, and not not only is it just piano, the very beginning is almost like music box classical. You know, like it almost fe- – if you put this on and you're like, yeah, we're going to rock out, and you hear the first uh, what, like six or seven bars or whatever that they, that are different, yeah, you're, you're kind of thinking like, what, what am I getting into? And then, and then it, it – you know, it changes directions sort of back to the record and you hear the audience, even the live audience kind of relief. They cheer. They're like, oh, OK, this is Thunder Road. OK. And then um, it's great. And then the drums don't happen. And you're like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's it stays at that one frequency. Yeah. But he still he, he vocally gets big and impassioned while still being restrained. So you're, you're not worried. But I think the next song, and we don't have to get to it yet, but I think the next song, for those who were thinking, oh, man, is this whole thing going to be restrained, is is him saying he's kind of setting the tone in the first th- three tracks on this you know, release. Yeah. So, Well, and anybody who caught Springsteen on one of these tours would hear this and be like, oh, this this is fine. You know what I mean? Like, just wait. You know, yeah. like, I know what's coming. Like, they're going to look at the track list. They're going to be like, Adam Rays Decane, Rosalita, Cadillac. Okay, we're fine. We're good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. this, this version of Thunder Road, this is where I first fell in love with Thunder Road because what it does, and now I, I like almost every version of it in, in, in its own kind of way. But the thing that really captured Thunder Road for me when I first started listening to this was it cuts through everything and it showcases the lyrics, which I think, in my opinion, the lyrics of Thunder Road are what make it so special. Like I, I love the entire musical composition. I, I've gone on record. I think it's a perfect song. But to me, the thing that, that makes Thunder Road, the thing that gives me chills in my spine every time I hear it are certain phrases and certain words and certain ways that he says certain things. Yeah, I and, sing the song in my head every single day for, for different reasons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this version of the song, for anybody who's like, I, I'm not quite hearing the story of Thunder Road. This is, a, this is a perfect version of it because what he does is he pulls away every, all the layers of it and he's just like, I'm going to. I'm going to invite you. It's almost like he's inviting the whole, anybody who picks up this box set, he's like, listen, I'm going to take you on an incredible journey. 
and you're invited to get in the car just like Mary is. And if you get in, I promise it's going to be the thrill of your life. It's like the whole, yeah. It you know, the, the opening track of this song is a way of saying like the live version of the Bruce Springsteen song is the road trip that Mary's invited to go on. And we're all invited to go on it too. It's unbelievable. Yeah. This is sort of his first attempt at, at what he ended up doing, you know, on Broadway and Netflix later. Yes, for sure. Sort of piecing together all of his stories that he told live. Uh, and maybe the first time he realized that like his magic trick was more than just his live show, but sort of the succinct story that he was telling. So. It was him. Yeah. It was the person that he was showing us when he, when he's on the stage. And I, I, that's a yeah. really good observation too. I think the live show is a, is a really good sort of natural sequel to this. Like if all you ever had a Bruce Springsteen was this and then the, the Broadway, um, <laughs> that, that's an interesting, those are interesting bookends, you know, to, to yeah. like the live experiences of Bruce Springsteen. For sure. Um, all right, we, um, you want to move on to track two? Yeah, so track two starts off with just nasty guitar tone. Just wow, wow. You know, just like sound check. You know, like the guy who sound checks uh, and plays way too much before the show actually starts and makes everybody else in the band mad. Yeah. Like that sort of guitar stuff, you know? Oh, man. And everybody in the audience is just wooing. There's like some tambourine. And uh, you just get a lot of uh, woos from the crowd, which is exactly what this this guitar speak is asking for and then he counts it off man and it's just explosive you know that that um 60 second note strum is so explosive yeah uh you can just hear it come through so much that you know that stuff is just wild on this live on this live track and i i can't get over it it's you know the rest of it's pretty straightforward and really good and the, they play with the dynamics really well up and down and up and down drums are just locked in but the guitar playing is wild and and just impressive it really is and this, this is a this is a really great representation of what this song feels like when you when you see him do it live and i've seen i've seen him do it live a yeah. couple of times and it it is it, it's it, it, it's like watching somebody like set fire to, to a to a guitar it's it's unbelievable yeah. And he's a little more impassioned when he sings too. He really draws out his like his uh how he kind of makes everything an A sound for the rhymes. You know, I was standing in the wings. Yeah. He just really just blows it out. So and you can hear the audience chiming in, gang, yeah. So it's a great it's a great encapsulation of a live show performance. So which tells you just how into Bruce his audience was because this album I don't even think the album had come out yet, like it because this was performed July seventh, nineteen seventy eight, and I think I think yeah. uh, darkness, if, if darkness had come out, it was very new. So like that the that the audience is already like showing up and like cheering along with new material is, um, I mean, I, and granted it's at the Roxy, which is a smaller venue, but I mean that just tells you like how hungry people were for new Bruce Springsteen material in nineteen seventy eight, you know, yeah, and how excited they were for him to. You know, it came out a month before, almost exactly a month before. Okay, or June second, nineteen seventy-eight. Now, of course, like Bruce had been touring constantly during that period of time, and he'd yeah. been showcasing new material. So it's very likely that, and I didn't check old set list, but it's it's very possible that he'd already been in Los Angeles a few times and played that song. You know. Yeah. So I just love the the album just came out, and he's already like upgrading the guitar parts. You know. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're not way different, but just, you know, there's just like some little subtle differences that are just somebody obviously just still trying to have fun with it. Well, it tells you, too, that like the the album version is not like he's not locked into it forever. The album version is sort of like an initial blueprint for the structure of a thing that could become a lot of different stuff 
it, it can evolve over time to mix my metaphors a bit, but, um, but in yeah. that's a, yeah, because, because Bruce does not feel like, well, I mean, go, again, going back to like how faithful does something have to be in, in a live performance for it to like be pleasing to the audience. And I think Bruce in both of these has, has been able to show like, not only does he not feel like he has to do the exact same thing every night, he, I think he understands that he has the power to like show people new dimensions of, of these songs, you know? Yeah. And he brings the band in on this one, big t- like the big time, yeah. and the crowd, like the was it the, the three and a half mark, uh, three and a half minute mark where the where the song sort of restart resets on yeah. the album. It's everyone in the whole place is just like wow, and they're holding the note out, and then they just stop and they hit the next verse, and it's so good. I love it. I do too. It's so good. So the next yeah. track that we both had uh, on our list was "Spirit in the Night." Yeah. What, what do you love about this? I I think this is. I just think it's fun. Like to me, to me, the one of the true gifts of this box set is that it gives us an opportunity to rehear stuff from Greetings from Asbury Park. And we've talked before about how, like, in my opinion, Greetings from Asbury Park, the the weak link in that album is that it's it just doesn't sound great. It, like the the sound quality is is low. Like the I, I like maybe it was just the studio wasn't what Bruce up to Bruce's standards. I mean, there's a, there's a massive, in my opinion, quality jump in production value from greetings from Asbury park to wildly innocent the street shuffle. And I think yeah. what this box set does is it gives us an opportunity to go back and hear those songs, um, in, in a, in a more alive, vibrant, better sounding kind of way and spirit in the night. It just shows you like, man, Br- Bruce's vision for this song was so much bigger than anything there was room for on that album. And, um, mm-hmm. and he just, and it shows, like the playful side of Bruce. like so far we've seen like the earnest side with Thunder Road. We've seen the intense rocker side with Adam Raise the Can. And this show's like sort of the more playful, like crowd work kind of version of him. And, uh, and it's real jazzy. This it's to real- me is like uh casual Friday Bruce. Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. boss today and he's letting Clarence and Gary like he lets Clarence and Gary just really goof off for forty five seconds. Yeah. And they it is sultry. Gary and and, and uh Clarence, like just their interplay is sexy it is it is some of the sexiest playing that they do you know yes. it's like the first 45 seconds of the song it's it's and a, then he yeah he and then that wow that he brings it back with where he's just like wow you know like he just squeals <laughs> and ever... then the band when he, when the boss squeals the band locks in oh that's so true and they're <laughs> it's, yeah, it's back to business but it's so much bigger and it's uh it's so locked in have you ever you've seen the last waltz, right? Mm, the band? Yeah. Um, I I have not sat down and watched it by myself, but the guitar player in my band had it on in his apartment twenty four seven. Um, just that was the only reason he had a TV or a DVD player. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is, in my opinion, it, it is is one of the great concert greatest concert films ever made. I, I I might even argue it's the greatest. I realize like Stop Making Sense is is sort of like the um the trophy. <laughs> the, the Stop one Making that, Sense is. Say, I realize mine. that most people say it's the gold medalist. I, I tend I tend to put Last Waltz just a hair ahead of Stop Making Sense. But anyway, so there in, in the Last Waltz, there is like Van Morrison comes out at, for, to do um, Caravan, and it's just big and mm. it goes on forever. And he's like Van Morrison. No one has ever had more fun than Van Morrison is having during this performance of Caravan. And this yeah. version of Spirit in the Night reminds me of that. And not only because Spirit in the Night is the most Van Morrison sounding song Bruce Springsteen ever wrote, but also because like the bigness and the crowd work and just the joy that seems to be coming out of every pore of not just Bruce, but the entire band, like all shows up in the audio here. And I, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Yeah. Like, this, this is a standout track to me on this record. There are moments where it feels like Max is going to keep doubling his snare roll 
infinitely. Oh, that's not Max. <laughs> oh, no, it's not Max. Oh, wait, yes, oh, it is. Yes, it is. Sorry, yes, it is. It's 1978, so that's Max not... is in the band. Sorry. I forgot. I was like, I was like that is Max. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, actually, I, I, I did not put it together until just now, but because the, the timestamp on this box set begins in 1975, that puts all, all the drum work as Max and all the piano work as Roy Bitten. I mean, basically erasing... Yeah. Max and David Sanchez from the uh, from from basically the live history of the E Street Band. Vinny and David Sanchez. What did I say? Max. Max. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, Vinny. Vinny yeah, and David Max. Sanchez. So yeah, it's it's all like so yeah. This is 1975 moving forward E Street Band stuff, which is which means it's Max on drums and Roy on piano. Yeah. Yeah. Look, man, you can keep your facts. I can pick Max Weinberg's snare sound out of a drum out of a lineup any sorry day of the that. week. So. That's my bad. That's all. On <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> so uh yeah, dude, this is incredible uh live recording. So it is. Uh you wanna you wanna move it right along? Yes. So speaking of stuff from the first album, growing up. Yeah. Oh man. I love this uh, version of this song so much. Yeah, I just love the uh the piano part in growing up to me is is what it almost makes it so perfect because it is that childish sort of like um music box sound, you yeah. know? And um he tells the story at the beginning I, and he tells it almost like singing it. You know, I have, I've heard this song so many times. I have the, the opening story fully memorized. It like just the, like yeah. there was one night, just a normal guy. Like I, I have that just, <laughs> just a normal guy. If I ever lose that my memory, weird. that's going to be one of the last things to go. God damn it. I'm still just a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see it. Caroline being like, he doesn't remember anything, but he keeps muttering something over and over. He's forgotten and our I, children's names, but he keeps saying, it was bye-bye New Jersey. She's like, he just keeps talking about that night. He was a normal guy. <laughs> and I, like, I could just yeah. see looking at her and being like, I know how we can get back in. <laughs> I know the key to unlocking his brain. The thing is, Caroline will be fully unsurprised by that. Like, they, they say he so remembers bad. nothing, and all he can do is recite like which what are clearly Bruce Springsteen anecdotes. <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah, yeah I, I I love I love the because this and again we're talking about like different sides of Bruce Springsteen. We talked about this a lot over the years on our podcast, like the different versions of Bruce Springsteen, and just in these first four songs we're talking about, we're, we're seeing each one of those versions like come to the forefront, right? Like so, Thunder Road we have Ernest Bruce, uh, Adam Raised the King we have Rocker Bruce, Spirit of the Night we have Silly Bruce. Here we have Storyteller Bruce. You know, yeah, and it it is great. And, and this one like swings a little bit more than the album version, you know. Yeah, when well, it, it lifts, just kind of jams it, a little bit. The the part that where he where he talks about I had a jukebox graduate for first band, like how he like lifts and like the excitement in the like that you can hear in his voice as he sings it. It's just not there on the yeah. album. Like all the things I want the album to do, this the just dynamically just they just don't get there for me. Like this fully does like the box set right for, for me the box set brings to life a lot of the stuff from the first album yeah uh man and clarence is killing it yeah and um yeah and roy bitten is killing it um right we just went over this yeah yeah just it's roy and clarence or yeah roy, roy okay. and max sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> my goodness yes uh yeah all right cool all right we're good yeah uh roy's just doing like some really subtle stuff you know like syncopated chord hits and stuff and clarence is too and it's super nice um 
and the band just plays the dynamics in a big way so that Bruce can kind of revisit the story. And to, I mean, this song is to me such an essential, this is one of the most essential Bruce Springsteen songs, you know, like if you had to explain like what his whole sort of ethic is, you know, like this is sort of it, you well, know? And there's a reason why he opens the Broadway show with this song for exactly yeah. what, you're, what you're saying. Like this is like to, to, for Bruce, like this is his origin story. You know? Yeah. And, and but, I just love that melody. Anything can be that melody. I sing that melody for, April's probably tired of it. I think she actually she loves a repeated joke. So like anytime someone has that many syllables presents a problem to me with that many syllables, I'll just be like, ooh, and then whatever else, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you guys going uh, on vacation? Ooh, Florida. Just whatever <laughs> it is. I'll just present it, you know? Yeah. Oh. What are you guys eating for lunch? Ooh, taco lunch. Like uh, anything. I'll do it. <laughs> I do it all the time. It's I love annoying. That. I love how versatile uh, it is. Like Mary had a little lamb. You can put a bunch of different stuff inside of it and it, it all works. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh man. Um, yeah, man. I, I think this is, this is great. The, the, I mean, and no kidding. Like the, the, the stuff I put on my list were, were the songs that when I heard them on this box set enhanced my appreciation for it. Like I actually like the songs more because of how, yeah. what I heard when I listened to the box set. And this is one of those songs. Yeah. And as as was the next one, which is uh, on our list, we're going to move down a little bit to Because the Night. Skip one down to track two. Yeah. So uh, so the reason I put this on here is because this is the first time on an official release by Bruce Springsteen we get this song. Because very famously, Bruce wrote this song for Darkness on the Edge of Town, decided it didn't work on the record, and gave it away to Patti Smith. And it became Patti Smith's biggest hit ever. Or like to this yeah. day, her like the biggest hit of her entire career, and so I think a lot of people just didn't realize that this was a Bruce Springsteen song. In fact, the, the first version love, of the song that I ever heard was the Ten Thousand Maniacs version in the '90s from uh, uh, the Natalie Merchant band. You know, yeah. And I, when I, I think I first, the, the oh, thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish up. No, no, no. What you were saying there. No. Sorry. You're good, man. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so the the thing I really love about it is it's one of the first times that you hear like the entire arena. Uh, recognize what song is coming. Yeah. And they just go nuts for it. Yeah, they do. And it, this one was performed in in 1980, on December 28th, in Uniondale, New York. And to me, this is the definitive version of this song. Like, I, I love the, yeah. the Promise version, but once you've heard this, like, the, the, the version on The Promise, as good as it is, it, just, it, just, it doesn't have the, the blood isn't flowing as much as it is here. You know what I mean? Like, this well, yeah. And the snare alive. drum isn't mic'd in an arena. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, so and, once you've heard it with that, you've heard that, that big snare pop, you know, mic'd in the Nassau Coliseum on the version, you know, then yeah. whatever. And the guitar works a little more fun in this one. I think. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard this song. I, I think not every time I've seen, I've seen Bruce seven times. I think I've probably heard him do this song five times. He, he does it pretty regularly. And, um, I just, I, I, I think one of the, one of the greatest, like um, most amazing things in all of rock history is that Bruce Springsteen wrote this song and then just didn't put it on an album, and, um, it, and to me, like that, like I'm so glad he he included this on the box set because he didn't have to, you know, like he totally could have just been like, ah, that's Patty's song, I'll just do it live, it'll be, but but he decided like, no, nah, I'll go ahead and put it on this, on the live version just because like it is a thing that he was doing live and it probably helped Patty Smith's record sales, quite frankly, to, to have Bruce out here out yeah. there covering something that was, you know, technically <laughs> legally hers, I guess. I don't know. Legally like that. I don't know how that works, but you know, on an album that like she had the definitive version of it for the longest time. So like if you went to a Bruce Springsteen concert and you, he did this song live and people were like, how come that's not on an album? And they were like, Oh, that's a Patty Smith song. 
I guarantee you people went to Bruce Springsteen songs and ran out and bought Patti Smith albums. You know what I mean? So Oh, for sure. That had to help. So I'm really glad he put and that And they hear on. the Patti Smith version, and they get sad that there's not a doubled uh, sax guitar part. Yeah. Oh, my like gosh. Like the build of this, not solo, but it feels like it's going to be a solo. Yeah. Well, and th- yeah. This, this song often, like when, when a famous person will come out on stage and join Bruce for a, for a song, quite often it'll be for this song. Like I've, I've seen him do this song yeah. with Michael Stipe. I've seen him do this song with Bono. I've seen him do it with Melissa Etheridge. Like like the number of different people who you just— do it with Ryan Adams? Uh, I don't know. Not Ryan, Brian Adams. I was going to say, if, it, if he did it with Ryan Adams, I don't want to talk about it. But if, with Brian Adams, we can talk about it. Brian Adams. Sorry. <laughs> I think he did it with Brian. I wonder if Brian Adams has accidentally been canceled by people because they don't know. I don't know, man. Like, have that you seen that episode Robin of Hood uh, is dead to me. The episode of um, of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Jeff Garland's character gets canceled because he has like a very passing resemblance to um, Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not caught up on Curb Your Enthusiasm, but that is funny. Oh my gosh, they're at a party like and somebody's Harvey like, why would you invite him here? <laughs> if Adam McKay ever makes the a new season about of Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein like Jeff best. Garland has to play him, I think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. Oh, man. Anyway, all right. Candy's so, Room. Next track, yeah. next one we're going to talk about. Very, there's I'm, not a I'm whole lot to talk about. This is here. a great version of the song. Yeah, there's not. it's not a whole lot different. It just translates to the Meadowlands really well, you know? Yeah, it does. And uh, just listening to, um, yeah, just listen to how low they get in that big. I mean, you hear the crowd goes nuts. And then when it's just hi-hats and Bruce whispering, it's like no sound. You know, there's a few people clapping, and that's it. And then, uh, I don't know, just the way he sort of tells the story in the beginning, he he loosens it up some. Yeah. So, it's it's really nice. Well, and where when it peaks at baby, if you ever want, um, baby, if you want to be wild, like that that part, it just explodes live. Like, and again, yeah. like not in like because of the night. There's just there's something about how the E Street Band performs something live that just cannot be as good. At, like you can have Jimmy Iovine in the booth, you can have Brendan O'Brien doing whatever Brendan O'Brien does. There's no amount oh, yeah. of wizardry in the engineer's booth that can capture what the E Street Band does live. and Well, and that open chord after we kiss, the open guitar chord, it feels like they just keep strumming it instead of leaving it open. And the we kiss part, Gary's like, all right, here's my – you know, like Gary's on the blocks waiting for the gun to go off. Yeah. And here's we kiss, and he's like, You can just see the determination in his face, you know, just like, it's incredible. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, this song explodes out out and it's so it's one of the few songs on this whole live album that's like as tight if not tighter you know because you know you've got 10 minute versions 11 minute versions seven minute versions and this song is is still just like a tight three minutes yeah he's never like this and night are two songs that he's never i guess just like com- felt compelled to just extend he, he, dude, it's, he always keeps them tight. tight 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 yeah uh all right and then uh the next track is uh, you've got reason to believe live yeah. at the Meadowlands. This is another one of those uh, in Nebraska. Nebraska and Greetings from Asbury Park, I think, are the two albums that are best served by this box set. Again, because you get to sort of hear what Bruce heard when he was making these songs. You know, like in, in yep. his head, like what these, this is what this is going to sound like live. And uh, Reason to Believe is one of my favorite songs on on the Nebraska album. And I think this is possibly the best version of the song I've ever heard. And it's just just the dum 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 just like the little yeah, yeah. low on the on the electric guitar, a little bit of harmonica, and you keep expecting it to get bigger, and it never does. And I think mm-hmm. that's good. Um, I, that that he he sort of not unlike Thunder Road, he just sort of holds it 
at the, like at this point of tension and tells these different stories and he tells it in a way that is compelling it is it is rich and is musically good and he, he just can he just delivers the song so well in this version I, I really like if i have to only have one version of reason to believe i'm gonna grab this one i love it when someone who has like a gruff voice reaches for an electric to do a solo thing instead of an acoustic well it's very i Jillian think it's Baker, so is cool it, is it and not it's very julian baker and uh, I love it. Yeah, I love that Julian Baker plays an electric guitar instead of an acoustic guitar. When she played, you know, it's like her. It's just her. Uh, so is it too really much to nice. hope that Julian Julian Baker at some point covers this song? Uh, I don't think so. I think that she's done a few Bruce Springsteen covers, and I wouldn't be surprised if she did some more. You I know? think right now, when we're all stuck in our houses and various musicians are doing live streaming concerts, if Julian Baker decided to do a a version of the, maybe if Julian Baker decided to do all of Nebraska, Julian Baker's Nebraska, yeah. Nebraska, I'd be fine with that. I would, I would pay, I would pay good money for her to do that. Oh yeah, I would pay twice whatever she charges for that for sure, easily. But, yeah, but I think this song would be a highlight no questions asked. Oh, no questions asked. Just yeah, just imagine her doing this song, but like with instead of the single note at the bottom of the chord, like holding the whole chord out and doing like finger plucked, like Julian Baker style, sort of like little finger plucked delayed arpeggiated chords while singing the melody. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That would be tight. Yeah, man, I love this. Uh, song. We talked about this very recently um, on the Nebraska episode, but yeah, very, yes. great song. So next track, we're gonna go disc three, mm-hmm. uh, the eleven and a half minute version of the river, which he tells a story, uh, not necessarily the one that he. It's the exact same story that that he was telling on the river tour, but this just you know talks about him and his dad and growing up and and sort of what this song shows him about, about sort of how hard and how untrue maybe the American dream is. And, um, it's great. <laughs> it's a great version of this song. And it's, it's, the story is sad. The story is as sad as the song, you know, and it's great. I, I found it interesting. It feels... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna, I, I found it interesting that he chose this song to pair with this story because it's a good story, but at the same time, yeah. this, this, the story feels more appropriate next to Independence Day. You know what I mean? Because it's because the river very famously is about. I mean, it's about like how his sister got pregnant and had to get married as a result. And the the song. I mean, and like you said, it like the the connective tissue here is like sort of like the 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 deceptive thin nature of the American dream. But but it is interesting that he decides to tell this story, which is kind of a story about like how he and his dad like in a very surprising way connected over the fact that he wasn't going to go to Vietnam. You know, because because he talks about how like his dad when his dad was like mad at him about like like playing the guitar, that goddamn guitar. Um, Then he he talks about sort of like the frustration that his dad. I guess that's in growing up, but like the how how his dad was um, was was like, well, just wait till the army gets a hold of you, you know. And um, and and when when it turns out he he doesn't end up going to Vietnam his dad's like that's good like they they had sort of like this mutual like sense of relief and Bruce was like that's how my dad showed love is that he was glad I wasn't going to Vietnam you know and yeah um and that it pairs though with the river is fascinating to me that that he decided well, that this is where to tell that story I don't think maybe he's not telling the story about his sister yet and he's not playing Independence Day on this you know particular i guess the recording at that show he probably did but it's not on the cut so i just love it because it sounds like a third day song <laughs> like the intro you know it sounds <laughs> it's well it's you know it's got it almost sounds like a the, the shimmer on the on the guitar almost sounds like a 12 string and wow. 
you know, it sounds like he's about to call everybody, everybody down front, like the small group leaders to come down front and every head, head bowed and eyes closed, you know, just remember that it's not as easy for somebody else out there tonight as it is for you. And that there's hope, there's hope in all of this, you know, and just, if you just raise your hand right now and we'll just sing over you, <laughs> Yeah. you know, it's such a beautiful, it just brings, and, and it, it just, you know, at the end of the last track, I born in the USA and you had seeds and then it's like, we're coming back down starting this you know this third disc like hey we're still talking about something important here this isn't just a rock record and not unlike an actual bruce Springsteen concert it it has like a narrative flow to it and that's i I just really love that um and that's i mean that's really all i have to say about this song uh not that it's not a great you know you know it's not that different you know it's good um but it does, like, like but you just, said, it does highlight storyteller Bruce, and it highlights sort of like the tension between him and his dad. By the way, I was I was really on the fence over whether or not to um, include Independence Day. That was one of my like that was one of the songs I was like, man, I really hate to not include that one, but we just didn't have the time for it. But I'm glad you included the river because it includes a lot of the same stuff that makes Independence Day so great. Yeah, 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 and the and that was on the previous on the previous disc. So yeah, um, so yeah, the river, and then we go on to uh, No Surrender. Which is gonna get us to the end of disc three here? Yeah, or, or carry us toward the end. Uh, um, I don't know. This one's great just because people are so into it in the stadium. They're just screaming, and then he starts the harmonica. You know, he plays those first few notes of the song, the harmonica, and there's no other sound in the arena. You know, it's just like a I don't know. To me, it's like a real Meadowlands moment. You know, for someone who hasn't seen him there, yeah, uh, and won't. <laughs> it's a real Meadowlands moment, and um. It, it's what you imagine the um i don't know it's just what i always imagine those shows to sound like is is this you know everybody's up and he plays these three notes that you're kind of thinking like maybe this is no surrender you know and everybody's quiet and then he starts to sing and you can hear the crowd get back into it and the band come up and you know and we've talked about how just like these the lyrics of this song are so inspirational to yeah. you know just like creatives growing up and so that's what I love about it. I, I just love how the Meadowlands is, is is so quiet, so loud and so quiet. Well, and this version of the song almost changes what the song is about, right? Like, because when you hear it on the album, it sounds like big and triumphant. It sounds like people like like running out of their school. But yeah, here it's almost like it's a fading memory. You know, it's like yeah, this is what we thought. Not unlike Glory Days, it it almost feels like um, not in tone, obviously, but in me- but in like concept, it's. It's almost like he's having this memory that's that's fading of like, don't you remember when when we were so excited when we were skipping like skipping school was the most exciting part of our our week, you know, like, um, yeah. Well, he wrote this song about when he was much younger, and yeah. So I mean, it came out the same year he performed it, but it's 1984. He's not a young kid in school anymore. This is years and years later. This is 12, 15 years later. So. Yeah, he's in his 30s now. And yeah, so it is a memory. It is a lament. It is an inspiration. It's not. Um, just sort of a, a punk rock um, banner to rally under. Yeah, I don't know, and it kind of just—I uh, I was reminded of this song when I saw Julian Baker live at this little bar right before she really blew up, at this little bar in Oxford. Speaking of Julian, mm-hmm. and like the bartender dropped glass ice in a glass, and everyone turned and looked at him, like, "Stop making so much noise." <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> it was so quiet in that room. Yeah. You know, even whenever, like, we were all singing along and she was playing, like, we could still hear the buzz of her amp because it was such a small, quiet space. And I love that. Yeah. And I love that it flows right into 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which is, like, cool. 
which is the and, next song. And they eighties it up. They eighties it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> and this this is also recorded in nineteen eighty four. Same right. show, same show uh, as No Surrender. Yeah, same show. Oh no, no different so, show. The, uh, the first one was recorded on August the sixth. The next one was recorded fourteen days later on August the twentieth. Same venue though. Uh, so Bruce, right, I guess same was just, venue, same month. I mean, that's amazing. Like Bruce is just like, I guess he just had a residency at Meadowlands Arena that month. Like he just he's just there all month. He long, had a I guess. residency at Meadowlands Arena. Yeah. Period. For sure. Um. Yeah, but. So they kind of do the chords, you know, with the fun synth, and then he counts everybody in, and it's it's just the song we all know. It's not really any different. It's once everybody comes in, except for, you know, Max is just tearing up that snare drum. You know, again, the snare drum in the Meadowlands, it just sounds different in the in the arena. So yeah. it's it's just a nice, it translates well. Is The only reason I really put it on the list is like um, they just blow it out. In a big way, it's super straightforward, but it just sounds really good in the live mix. Well, and it's it's one of those songs like he can't he can't put a box set together of the last ten years and exclude this song. This is not a, like growing up is his personal origin story. Tenth Avenue Freeze Out is the origin story of the E Street Band. Yeah, the band. And and both are important, and so it has to be. This song has to be on this box set. Yeah, and he's got like he's got the female vocals in here now. Is the band's a little bigger, you know? So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then the final track that we're going to talk about, but also the final track on the box set, is Jersey Girl, which is a Tom Waits cover. This was recorded in 1981, July the 8th, 1981, at, again, Meadowlands Arena. Meadowlands. And what, what's kind of amazing here is that Tom Waits had just very recently released that song when he started co- – like, he, Bruce starts covering that song almost immediately because it's on the album Heart Attack and Vine that came out that same year, or, or like either either earlier that year or late in 1980. Um, but so Bruce starts doing it almost immediately and almost instantly becomes a Bruce Springsteen song in the, in consciousness just because Bruce is so directly associated with New Jersey. Um, but I, I like this song for a number of reasons. One, I think it's interesting that he decides to close the box set with this because he, he's been in the 1984, 85 space on, in the box set for a little while. And then for the final track, he doubles back to 1981 for this song. Yeah. Like he knows he needs to end the box set. Even though chronologically it's not in order, like he knows he just needs to end the box set with this, which is a cover. Um which I mean, it, I, well first of all, this is the last time I ever saw Bruce Springsteen. This is the song he ended with and it was in New Jersey. And so for all I know, this is the last song I'll ever hear Bruce Springsteen perform. And I heard him perform it in the Meadowlands. At basic not not the same venue because the same venue I don't think is there anymore, but um at at a venue very near that venue. And so um, and even though it's not a Bruce Springsteen original, it's so beautifully kind of encapsulates a lot of what, like who Bruce is and like the live experience of Bruce and that, how, how deeply connected to New Jersey he is and like how much, how, how much of Bruce Springsteen is wrapped up in the fact that he is from New Jersey. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's interesting, like the, again, like looking at the bookends, the narrative arc of the entire story of the entire box set, it opens with Thunder Road, which is all about a guy leaving home and Jersey Girl is about a guy in Jersey. Like he's, you know what I mean? Like they're going out on the shore. So it's like he left home. He had these giant experiences. Like the 10 year, the last 10 years have been crazy guys. And then the last thing he does is he returns to New Jersey for, for a Jersey girl, you know? Yeah. I love it. Like the, the narrative arc of, of, a, of a box set is so perfectly constructed. Like even, even 40 songs and whoever knows how many discs, depending on what, which box set you bought, like Bruce is still thinking in terms of the narrative arc. And that's, unbelievable I, I i love it so much i love that that's where he starts and that's where he ends yeah it's a great way to end it's yeah. just nice he really sings it well 
the band, you know, you got your strings. Everybody's just everybody's just really holding it down in the background. Well, great record. It is a great record. I love. I listen to the live. This uh, I don't listen to a ton of live records, but I listen to this one all the time. I have, and we'll talk more about this when we get to our bonus episode. But I've spent the last couple of weeks kind of reappreciating what I like about live albums because I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I kind of prefer just sort of like to listen to the definitive canon, usually of of most artists. But like I've been really digging into some live material lately, and it's I, I need I need to spend more time appreciating people's live uh, body of work. Yeah, you know, d- depending on who it is, Br- uh, Bruce Springsteen for sure. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, final thoughts. How are we feeling? I mean, that was my final thought, man. I, <laughs> I, I love this record. It's, it's a, a fun thought. live record. And it's a whole day. You know, spend a whole day with it. You'll, there's plenty here, you, you know. Well, and if you, like many of us, are staying at home for long periods of time right now, then, um, you know, sit, sit down with it. Enjoy. Like, take a break from the internet and uh, spend some time with this instead. You might, your, your life yeah, might Yeah, here, be- let me do you a let me do you a favor. Alexa, play Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band Live, 1975-85. Oh, speaking of that, the thing I didn't mention is this is the first time on an album cover the E Street Band is named. Oh, it is. So, this is because up until this point, everything that Bruce releases is by Bruce Springsteen, and then the band in the liner notes is basically, it's the, the, the makeup of who the E Street Band is. But at the live shows, it's always... Tonight at the Roxy, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. But on the albums, it's always Bruce Springsteen. But here, it is. this is an album by Bruce Springsteen. And the name of the album is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, live 1975 to 1985. So technically, this is just the Bruce Springsteen album that happens to be called Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, live 1975 to 85. Isn't that yeah. interesting? It's the only time the E Street Band is on a record cover. That sounds right. And then there's another time that a band is mentioned, and that would be live in Dublin. Yeah, the sessions. Yeah. Um, what what, what, what about uh, Hammersmith Odeon? Is that are the E Street Band credited on that album? They cover? are not on the cover. No. No way. Wow. All right. Well. Oh, live in New York City. What? Live in New York City, 2001. Oh. In the E Street Band. Okay. So, well, congratulations to the E Street Band for for making for making the you, album cover finally. You did it, guys. Finally made it. You did it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if you are a patron, you can jump over to our uh, Patreon feed and you can listen to our bonus episode. We're going to talk about our top five favorite live albums from other non-Bruce Springsteen artists. And uh, so if if you're a patron, you can go listen to that. If you're not a patron, thanks for listening anyway. And we'll be back in the feed next time. We're going to finish out the 80s by talking about Tunnel of Love. So everybody stay safe and healthy out there. And until then, JB, thanks for for hanging out. And to everybody else, thanks for listening. (laughs) 